Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, where we empower you with the answers to your burning questions to accelerate your career into the sports industry. We are your hosts, Melbourne-based sports administrators, Ruben Williams and Ryan Walker. Join us as we share unique and personal examples as well as relatable information and deliver them to you in bite-sized, fluff-free episodes. Want to swipe our signature framework to add awesome experience to your resume? Download our free ebook, Four Steps to Create Outstanding Work Experience in Sport, at sportsgrad.com.au. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our latest episodes released every Tuesday and Thursday. Rubes, today we have an absolutely massive episode all around personal trademarks. Now, you know me as a man who, who loves all things sort of self-help books, purpose-driven activities. I absolutely love it. But I just want to point out to start this episode, I guess, is just to chat around your personal trademark in terms of looks. And I just want to say yours, oh from my point of view, <laughs> is your very chiseled jaw and you're always very cleanly shaven. So, there's a bit of shine <laughs> always coming off your jaw. And I'd love to know why that is. Uh, th- thank you for that, Ryan. Really, it means a lot. Uh, no, I I use the uh, the executive razor, of course, with a tube of Dr. Carver's shave butter. So uh, that's all, that's a daily routine. It helps the the face get a bit more bit more sunlight. So I'd, I'd have to put it down to that if if there was any reason for what you just described about me. But when when I think of you and your your physical trademark, Ryan, I can't help but ignore your hair. It is glistening, and and every time I I go to touch it, it's always it's always very soft. What is what are you doing? What are you doing with it? My secret is actually uh, using the Wanderer hydrating shampoo from Dollar Shave Club, and I uh, I swear by it because I you you know me, I'm a man who loves to wash his hair every day. My mother was that very true. big on washing your hair, no oily hair, so. The Wanderer Hydrating Shampoo is is where it's at, and I absolutely love it. So that's why the hair is somewhat looking okay, I, I think. So that's great for me. So head to dollarshaveclub.com.au slash sportsgrab because you can get your first starter set of blades and shave butter for just $15 if you want to look like Rubes and $10 off your second delivery, which is an absolutely amazing offer. You can find it in our show notes as well. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. I'm Ruben Williams and with me as always is the aerodynamic Ryan Walker. Hello, Ryan. How are you? Rubes, I'm going well. Uh, a good day at the office. Um, I will say though this morning, quite a shock. Uh, I will share this with you. I haven't told this to you today, but I actually went to a new coffee shop this morning and okay. I paid $4.80 for a latte and it's a little bit... It's a bit of a concern for me because across the road it's three eighty for a latte, and I don't know why I switched. But it wasn't a great start, but we we went on from there. Um, That's a lot of money if you're buying that every single day. Absolutely, and you know we're saving for that brand new bike that we've been speaking about on this podcast in mm. previous episodes. So I can't be going Should back be there. Mm. Not only be worth the money if you're willing to wake up earlier than the nine a.m. as Kath suggested last week. Absolutely, mate. You're dead right. How uh, how are you? I'm going well. I'm going well. Um, I'm very excited for today's episode, though. I think today's going to be very practical yeah. and insightful and, and beneficial for everyone looking to learn a little bit more about themselves. Absolutely. I'm pumped. So, let's uh, let's get going. Absolutely. So, firstly, thank you so much to you guys out there who are listening. 
for getting involved and downloading. We really appreciate every single one who, who listens to the show. Today, we are talking with Gavin Marnie from Leading Teams about how to create your personal trademark. If you're listening for the first time and thinking, what is this show? Who are these two guys? The Sports Grad Podcast is your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. I myself am a graduate of Deakin University in Melbourne, and Ryan is a graduate of Notre Dame, Australia in Perth. A few years ago, we both made the jump into working at Cricket Australia together, and now our aim is to help you do the same in whatever way, shape, or form that may be in the sports industry. On to our special guest for today, Gav Marnie. Gav is a fellow sport management graduate of Deakin University and for 11 years worked in the field of community and game development. This included professionalising the AFL London League as general manager, consulting state sporting organisations on their community programs as a representative of the Australian Sports Commission and increasing participation as a football development manager with AFL Victoria. For the last three years, Gav has worked as a facilitator with an organisation called Leading Teams who are well known for their work to develop the cultures of some of the most successful AFL clubs in the last 20 years. Luckily for you, you don't have to be an AFL player to acquire some of the same methods leading teams use to develop high-performing teams because today, Gav is going to walk us through how to create your personal trademark. Gav, welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. Thank you, Ruben, and thank you, Ryan. It's uh, always good to connect with fellow alumni of uh, Mutant Way out there down in uh, Burwood. So um, <laughs> good, to, uh, good to be involved and, and sort of uh, give back to the, to the graduates coming through. Who, who was teaching back in the day when you were going through Deakin? Uh, so one, I guess it always stands out, my very first lecturer, because I started off in the sports coaching um, course. So David Parkin was the lecturer of that course. Mm. Um, we only had 18 mm. people in the whole course. Um, so that was it was pretty awesome. But then I, I shifted off into uh, sports management field. So that was the more business side commerce stream. Um, and I always remember Emma Sherry um, as, as being sort of a key uh, lecturer um, in my time there. Da- David Parkin is a legend of the AFL for those who aren't aware. I think he's probably won, what, five or six premierships? Yeah, I, it's probably testing my knowledge around that. But I always remember his lectures feeling like a three-quarter time speech anyway, like the veins <laughs> coming out on his necks and uh, a bit of spit coming out of the mouth. It's just a very passionate um, but also motivating human being. Well, it's uh, it's an honour to be with two Deacon alumni in this podcast tonight. Uh, <laughs> I only dream of having a, uh, a Notre Dame sports management alumni amongst <laughs> me. Uh, but firstly, Gav, for those who don't know who leading teams are, can you give us a, a quick overview of who they are and what sort of work you guys are into? Yeah, fantastic. So at leading teams, we're a team of high-performing facilitators and also headquarters staff. Um, you mentioned sort of your purpose and your reason for starting Sports Grad and, and the podcast here. Our purpose at leading teams is to help individuals and teams become high performing. Um, so our role and our work is to connect teams with their purpose, um, but also really connect teams with what we'd say the values or behaviours of their organisation are. And I know that you've both got a, a background in uh, Cricket Australia. And so I guess as there's a little snippet and insight as to what we do, um, I've noticed on the website that Cricket Australia have four key values around how we play. Um, do either of you know what those four values are? There was smash the boundaries, uh, stronger together, be real, uh, be real, and one more run. 
we got to redo this if I'm going to see this. Make every ball count. Would be Make every ball count. So, yeah, so really our while, role is to, is to come in and, and just really test teams and then see is, is that do we use those behaviours, those values as a pivotal piece um, of our performance um, and really we just make the link that behaviour drives performance. Um, and so you, you probably mentioned it earlier around the culture piece. Um, for us, culture is just a reflection of our behaviour. Um, and so we work, when we go in and work with the teams, we work around their culture, their behaviours, the, the team dynamics side um, to then help them become high performing. We mentioned that leading teams are, are well known around AFL circles. Who are some of the clubs that leading teams have worked with and, and what sort of results has your model been able to facilitate for those clubs? So probably over the ones we're probably most well-known for have been um, a long association with the, the Sydney Swans, um, you know, starting with them early days with you know, Paul Ruse and, and their premiership um, in 2005, um, but also with the Geelong Football Club through um, a number of their premierships and successes and also the Hawthorne Football Club um, during a number of their premierships and successes. So um, I guess if most people have heard of us, it's generally through those three clubs, but also in recent times in this current AFL season, um, we're working with Port Adelaide, um, the Brisbane Lions, which currently sit one and two on the ladder, and, and still working with the Sydney Swans too. So um, we've had a strong presence um, through the AFL, um, but also worked with the Australian Netball Diamonds, we've worked with rugby league clubs, super rugby clubs, crickets, um, a whole host of teams and, and also now predominantly into, into a big corporate environment too. Um, and for me, the, the good one in, in terms of the AFL and linking in there is the case study of the Brisbane Lions. Um, and when we talked about sort of like behaviour and culture, it's, it's understanding these things aren't often quick fixes. Um, so when Chris Fagan went and started with the Brisbane Lions and, and he's had an experience with leading teams from his time at Hawthorne. Um, we started and, and joined him there at the club. And so the first two years, I think they finished second last and second last, um, despite our tenure and, and time with them. And people might look on the outside, well, you know, what's going on? Where's the performance? But again, they were just, they weren't focusing so much on the wins and losses. It was very much around the behaviour. And then that third year, they jumped from second last to second. You know, the, the experience, you know, the games, the, all the behaviours that they'd really underpinned. Um, you know, getting the right players on board, getting the right culture set, and, and now you see they're setting themselves up for real long-term um, success. So, yeah, I guess most people, if they've come across the name leading teams, it would have been our association with sport. And I guess that's our link to high performance too. Do you think uh, leading teams had a direct impact on the culture of the Bloods at the Sydney Swans? That absolutely comes to mind when I think of the culture of the Sydney Swans. Is that a direct sort of correlation with you got your your work with them? Yeah. So when I talked about before around you know the cricket Australia um, sort of values and, and sort of what are they? An early thing that we we went in and worked with the Swans was around we would say what are the non negotiable behaviours we must have to perform as a high performing team? Um, and so they had a list of behaviours. They had a couple of descriptive words. Um, and part of what their discussion came up with is is they talked about you know, someone was making mention to their connection and history to South Melbourne and how they used to be considered the bloods um, and how those teams were described and almost how they were, like, feared and revered. Um, and it stuck with them. And and for them, the language we use, and we talked about a personal trademark, that became their team trademark. 
that that's how they wanted to be known and be described by the opposition teams whenever they came to Sydney or they went and travelled away, that their their adaption, their application to their game plan, their strategy was everything around the bloods. Um, and so when they reviewed themselves and they reviewed their performance, they reviewed themselves against, is that what would be expected of a blood? And so that's, yeah, that's been a sort of a big part of our story and, and history too. And a number of teams have different trademarks along those lines. And, and we see the best ones have a real connection and belief around what that trademark means to them. I've heard, I've heard a few different stories about, you know, how leading teams come in and they get everyone in, in a room and they deliver their session. Is, is, that, is that it? Is it like a one and done situation where you have the chat with the team, you come up with the tr- team trademark and then you leave? Or is it, what's it like throughout the rest of the year and what sort of involvement do you have in an ongoing capacity? Yeah, and I think that's probably a good reflection then even to both the sporting teams but also the corporate space that we work in. So depending on where teams are at um, or organisations, they might already have a set of values or established behaviours. We just want to put a rigour and and test it out. How strongly connected to it are you and how do you use it? So for us, and I just made the mention of um, the Sydney Swans but also all the teams that we work with, Instead of necessarily just reviewing the wins and loss, they review the behaviour. So despite the result, they might even win by 10 goals, but they would have a really rigorous review around their behaviour. Um, and it's not just saying, hey, we won, everything's really good, or we lost, like we're going to get punished. And um, it's it's all around the behaviour and how good can we be? So even if we go and work with a corporate day one, it's set up the trademark, but then we come back generally once a month Sporting teams far more frequently, almost every week, and review the team against the behaviour, including giving each other individual feedback around how they live the trademark. So we want to know the ones in the team. We talk about leaders. Um, who are the leaders that are displaying that role modelling, the behaviours the best, and who are then influencing and having a positive influence on the rest of the team to drive the performance? Um, so those are the conversations we have with the whole team. Um, and what we like to focus on is an empowerment model. So the team, the players, everybody gets an opportunity to have an opinion, have a say. It's equal weighted. It's not coach directed down. It's not manager directed down. It's the whole team um, because behaviour doesn't discriminate in that way. Do you have to do a bit of work with the players to, I guess, enable them to feel comfortable to have those conversations? And I think that's probably something that, sport does better than corporate environments in having those honest chats to each other. But is, so, is that something that you have to allow people to be comf- comfortable with? Yeah, so probably the first starting point is the different, The main difference I reckon between sport and corporate is in the corporate space, feedback is seen like an event. We have our annual performance review or we have an annual engagement survey or six-month review or update and you know, you get it all booked in and it's, you know, becomes this quite a big event. Whereas sporting clubs, like feedback's almost daily. And and we would challenge any team if you want to be high performing and you're not engaging in regular feedback, then you can't consider yourself to be high performing. And it's just, it's infrequent, it's often, it's direct, it's on the spot. Um, but going back to your point, Ruben, is there is quite a bit of work around building the relationship building an environment of real mutual trust and respect and also safety and care for one another. So we know that that feedback is done with the pure intent to help me and help the team improve. 
And you can see how that falls over really quickly. If I don't necessarily trust your intention um, or I don't think it's a safe space, then you can see where feedback might get out of control. And, and I guess my understanding of feedback in the corporate space and why people have a negative connotation around it is because teams and people haven't built the relationship as the starting point. Um, they don't have that genuine belief that my manager or my teammate has my best interests at heart and they're really trying to help me improve. And would almost then suggest that if you don't give people feedback, you're almost doing them a disservice because they, one, they don't know the things that they're doing really well and they need to keep doing, but they also don't know their areas for growth and where they can improve to become, you know, better at whatever field they're, they're striving to be better in. I think, I think that's really interesting, um, particularly for students or anybody who's going into a job interview. One of the most common questions you get asked is, you know, tell us about a time when you've had to have a difficult conversation with somebody else. And I think if you're able to display or you know, articulate some of the mechanics that go on behind the environment that was that allowed that conversation to go forward, I think you display a much greater understanding of yourself and the other person, you know, in overall emotional intelligence and what kind of contributes to a team, which can be highly advantageous if um, you know, if you are going for a job interview. Yeah, definitely. And I'll just quickly jump on the language because it's one we hear quite often around, you know, that difficult conversation, hard conversation, fierce conversation, you know, open, you know, brutally honest conversations. If, if we're going in to provide someone with a feedback and we think it's going to be hard or it's going to be difficult, well, then don't be surprised if that's the outcome you get. Um, we would use the language around genuine. So it's a genuine intent to help you improve. Um, otherwise, why would you be giving that person feedback? Um, and it's often if we if we have that language of difficult, hard, challenging, awkward, then what that happens when that's our belief, our behaviour becomes avoidance because we don't want to do things that are hard or difficult or, or challenging. So that's why a lot of people put those conversations off. But if we know that we're having those conversations to help that person and also help the team improve, then it's we're far more likely to go, well, we can't put that off, can we? Because we've got a clear opportunity to improve here. Um, so it's a it's a subtle way of just shifting the language around it, but also what we'd say is just creating an environment of of feedback. And it's a bit like a muscle. When you start practicing it more and more and more, um, the easier it becomes. You know, the first time it seems a bit awkward and clunky and a bit mechanical, but the more and more we do it and more and more we practice it, then it just becomes a habitual nature, um, and it becomes part of what we do within our team. Gav, how does your role personally fit in with the the leading teams organization so i'm lucky enough to be what's called a a business unit owner Um, so it's a partner of leading teams i've bought into the business Um, but obviously my main role is a facilitator so leading teams is majority is like the majority of our staff are made up of facilitators based all around australia i believe off the top of my head we have 16 or 17 facilitators And we have three headquarters staff. We have finance, an office manager, and a marketing person. Um, So my role is to facilitate um, a program of high performance for the teams that I work with. And and when we work with teams, we probably look to go narrow. My my sort of ideal team, because I only want to work with about six or seven teams, um, but really embed myself. um, And we like to say we are an ongoing cultural and leadership resource for you to use. So, you know, sometimes you might, um, you know, we may have people call up the office and say, look, we're, um, we're getting the team together. We want a culture day. Can you come and give us like really good culture in, in a day? And it's like, well, 
culture doesn't happen just in a day. Culture evolves and it's the daily dedication and application of it is how we end up with strong cultures. So that's why we would actually talk about coming back and reviewing and giving feedback on a really regular basis. Um, How do we recruit people into our team? How do we induct them? How do we manage their performance? And then obviously too, like when people exit our team for for whatever reasons and at different stages, how, how do we exit those people out of our team too? So that's um, the life cycle we manage of people within our teams. Gav, when we spoke previously, you mentioned that the first 18 months were really challenging as, as you learnt the job. However, you were wondering why, why they picked you. And you mentioned that, you know, those above you saw that you had a, had a great attitude. Given that your attitude has been judged as part of the hiring process and there are many people out there at the moment who are looking for, for jobs, uh, what are some ways that people can show themselves, showcase themselves um, as having a good attitude other than stating the obvious of saying, you know, I have an excellent attitude? What are, what are some ways that they can clearly demonstrate that they've got the attitude that people are looking for? Yeah, good. Um, and I might just give that sort of comment or line a little bit of context um, because as I know we, we had a chat previously to this and leading into it, but yeah, I must admit, like the first 18 months were, were really tough, um, you know, coming into a really high-performing environment, um, the self-doubt, the kicks around, the anxiety, you know, am I going to make it? Are my skills up to it? You know, you look around the room and you've just got a lot of like really quality um, people um, and really highly skilled people. And it, it comes a bit of a shock because um, I know different organisations, you sort of look around and you go, yeah, they're a good operator, they're a good operator, and then they're, I reckon they're not such a good operator. And, <laughs> trying to work out how you fit into the world and I quickly worked out at probably leading teams off that I fit right down at the bottom of the pecking order. So, And we were doing actually a, a review of our recruitment process um, and we came up with a couple of the key criteria around, you know, sort of what it takes to, to join leading teams. And out of the four criteria, I reckon I only ticked off one of them. And I remember sort of sitting there and I was, you know, I had all this self-doubt and, and you know, like struggling to find my place in the team. And I was like, why the fuck did you actually, you know, recruit me, like off off the back of that? And I remember chatting to one of the directors and and founders um, who was part of the the interview panel at that time. And he gave me the comment. I said, mate, I I don't even tick off on any of this stuff. Like what? how did you even get me into the business? And he said, simple, mate, because of your attitude. Um, And so... That was kind of nice to hear in a way, but it probably didn't help me in terms of the other criteria around, you know, business development, facilitation skills and experience with leading teams. But I guess what they may have seen in me, or that's probably more of a question for, for the people in leading teams, but I know definitely when I've been in a hiring process, I've always looked for what we'd call character or attitude. We obviously want people with a certain amount of skill sets to be able to do the job, but I'd always lend to character because in most roles, the majority of roles, you might take out, say, like engineering and surgeons and, and big, large projects, but most of it is people to people and the skills can be taught. If you back yourself in and you back your own development, the skills can be taught. Um, so you want someone who's willing to take on feedback, who's willing to learn, who's who's got a good work ethic, who's you know got attention to detail, and and all those real attitude and what we'd say behavioural um, components. Because longer term, they're going to be the the real good people for for your organisation. Um, the flip side is, and you get a highly skilled person who knows everything, um, doesn't want to take on feedback, and there's a real grump around the office. Well, 
how do you work with that person? You kind of get pigeonholed with around, you know, what their growth might look like. So one of the things that I've always looked for on a resume is, you know, everyone's going to have their job listings. I always quickly flick to the back and see, look for other interests or um, volunteer work that people have done. You know, have have you joined a committee? Have you volunteered at your local club? Are you are you part of a group? Have you done any social activism work? Because for me, that sort of highlights things you've gone and done above and beyond um, outside of your job, which which highlights to me a bit of a work ethic and attitude. Um, especially if you're doing volunteering, you, you're doing it for someone else. You, you're probably getting some things out of it yourself, but it's really for helping others out um, and giving up your own time and, and effort to do that. Um, which is not always easy. So I always reckon um, the resume was is a big one. And the practical example, I was really lucky when I started playing senior footy. Um, I was at a really supportive club, but it didn't have a lot of, say, structure put in place. And I remember putting my hand up to say, you know, can I, can I be the strength and conditioning coach? I think I was the age 20, just because, you know, we'll just – beer drinking guys just running around the field. I reckon I was like, I reckon we could do this better, you know, and um, they paid for me to go on a two-day course and I got some basics and, you know, I probably didn't really know what I was doing, but it was a second division footy club where I got to cut my teeth and I had to learn to coordinate a group of guys who were taking the piss out of me, um, which, you know, it was just you, you learn trial and error. There was It didn't really matter if I failed in, in that type of environment, but also they were, they were great support too. So, um, and then I joined the committee there um, and different times I've, I've just, you know, jumped in, joined committees and, and got involved in that respect. So, you know, if you are in that space and I think you guys would probably also know, if you just come out with your degree, you know, everybody else is going to come out with a degree too. What else is going to separate you out um, and trying to highlight through? And I remember just looking through your, your LinkedIn post earlier and you talked about some five fives, which is a like a recommendation for you to do. Um, one for me would always be build your network. So outreach to people, um, contact people, um, and just just get a sense of what's your business like, what are you looking for, and, and try and learn about different organisations and target places that you'd like to work one day. So for me, my, my journey to leading teams began 10 years ago, even though I didn't know it. I met leading teams when I was living in London. Um, and I, I started to get a bit of an interest for them um, and what they did. And I thought, geez, you know what, one day that would be a really good place to work. Um, but I stayed in contact and I kept following up and I asked to catch up for like beers and coffees. And I think that's the persistence piece. I do have quite a few people who approach me about, you know, coming to work at leading teams. But you hear from them once and I'll, I'll grab a coffee with them. I'm always keen to give my time, but you'll never hear from them again. You know, it's like, can I come in now? and then. No, never hear from them again. I would just say stay the course, be persistent. No, not every week, but, you know, every couple of months, six months, check in and remember something about that person. So, you know, you guys just talked about bike riding. If I was to contact you in six months, it would be, how's the bike riding, guys? You still doing it? (laughs) What's the ride you got going? Just try and think of something to make it a bit more personal and and build the relationship. And for me, that, that almost shows an attitude, a persistence, an eagerness. You know, it's often those little behaviours that no one thinks people notice, but, you know, the, the smart ones, the astute ones, they, they do notice it. And ever more than now, people are looking for really good people um, to join their teams because they have to make sure they get that recruitment piece really right. 
because if you get duds into your team, it's really hard to get rid of them. Um, so I'd always, and the teams that I work with, I say recruit for character, you know, really recruit for character and back yourselves in, back your culture, back your leaders to upskill them because they'll be the ones you want to keep around and they're going to help, they're going to add to your culture, they're going to add to your team. Fantastic. There's there's so much good stuff in that. Most of all, everyone, if you reach out to Ryan on LinkedIn, make sure you ask him about what time of day he's going on his bike rides. Yeah. Hopefully uh, definitely before 9 a.m. And- <laughs> definitely do that. I, I was actually going to say two things about what you just said there, Gav. I think first of all, the, the networking piece around, um, you know, remembering something about someone uh, is crucial because I think as soon as you can make that connection personal, it makes the conversation a whole lot easier. You don't you don't want to be it's almost like it's transactional if it, if you're just talking about each other's work. So as soon as you can bring that mm. personal element into it, I think it's really important. And the second thing is um, your old football club very much sounds like Ru- Rubens Club, St Mary's Salesians, sort of just run around, not really doing much, um, very <laughs> unfit. Uh, so I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> we mentioned. Uh, oh, actually, yeah. What's your reply, Rose? <laughs> Uh, like I like I love what you said about um taking on the role of strength and conditioning coordinator and like you, you were doing that ten years before we started advocating for it so you're groundbreaking in that space clearly and I think um it's good when you can make up your own titles so like yeah exactly right <laughs> you could have made it exercise science specialist yeah. or something at, at local football club FC and yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right um but I I loved what you said about including your interests on your resume because that's that's such an obvious way to show your character and and your attitude and um but often one that's often ne- neglected and i think for sport particularly because it is a bit more relaxed you know it's not your banking finance kind of industries that we me you might have to be a bit more uptight i'm not sure i've never applied for a job in banking but um um, I think sport invites that um, element of oneself to kind of share what else they do. And so I think it's it's an, such a good way for you to, to show that clearly. And Ryan, I don't know, when was the last time you looked at your resume and what have you got in the interests section of the, that spot at the moment? Yeah, well, I think it's probably something I need to add in. I've sort of got an extracurricular area, which I speak about mm-hmm. volunteering and whatnot. But mm. um I think we've we've said this from the very first episode around showing your character in a job application, and we'll mm. we'll sing about it to the cows come home because it's actually <laughs> it's so crucial. And you're right, Rubes, it, mm. sport does invite people to show who they are, and a lot of the skills that, as you said, Gab, like the skills you need to perform in jobs can be learned. It's really crucial that you know your character is right for the team that you're entering mm. into. So. Um, Absolutely, show your interests in on your resume and, and a job interview. Um, I think it's crucial. Ryan, what would you put in the interests section of your resume if you're applying for a job next week? Well, I all of a sudden love long walks, Rubes, because of this isolation period. I'm not sure about you, but obviously I'd chuck cycling in there uh, when it's sunny mm. um, and only when it's about 15 degrees. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it would probably centre a lot about sport and podcasting. I think that would be me. Um, yeah. What about what about you, Gav? Yeah. So again, whether it's kind of like the interests and and how you sort of classify it, but yeah, I'd, I'd be even just trying to highlight, you know, what what you know the fact that you've actually started up a podcast. So while it's probably like an interest, but just you might know, be other achievements or volunteering opportunities. You know, those would be the ones I'd be adding in. So 
I think I've normally added in that, um, you know, I've been on committees for, for sports clubs. Um, I've also done um, coaching coordinator roles um, in, in terms of volunteering, um, a couple of like charity organisations been involved with and, and then even just like little personal challenges because I guess what I try highlighting my characters, I, I love to push myself, I love to challenge myself. So it, it probably links in a bit to what we'll discuss later around your personal trademark, like make sure it, it sort of highlights who you are. It's, it's a reflection of you. So um, because from my perspective, if I'm hiring, I, I just want to find out about you. Like I don't necessarily... I care about your work history, but I'm not so interested in that. Like that'll that'll come out, but I, I want to know about you. So if if you don't make it really relevant to you, um, then it, it's going to look a bit contrived. So just make sure it does reflect the type of person you want to be too. Um, that that would sort of be my other key sort of like recommendation on that piece. And and don't have like massive now that you do it. Don't have a whole page of it. You know, you just need you know, four <laughs> or five key key sort of bullet points, and it just highlights you know those extra things that you're doing outside of a, a nine to five or a general job. Mm. I'm working with a, a bloke at the moment who's applying for a job, and he was updating this section. And he, he came to me, and I was reading back over his resume, and the interest section said, "I love going for walks with with my partner and our dog." whatever his name was. And I was like, that's that's awesome. And I think it had touched on a bit about how he's in isolation. So this has become his new favourite hobby and it's allowed him to kind of reconnect. And I just thought that's such a human way of expressing what, what you're doing at the moment and, and would be much appreciated by any person hiring for a position. Yeah. And I guess if – and I know part of it, we, we did talk about the network. I would – while the CV part is, is pretty important, I would say that the network, you know – trumps that tenfold. So I don't feel like I've actually got one job from just applying through a general source. Um, every job that I've got has been someone's connected me through to someone within that space and said, hey, there's this job going. Um, I reckon, you know, maybe are you interested, throw your hat in, or I've heard of it and I've said, hey, Ruben, um, you know, I, I saw this role of Cricket Australia. Do you know someone who there's involved? Can you get some more information, you know, you know, put in a good word for me or something along those lines. So, again, the, the network piece, because, again, we, we talk about trust and the character. Well, it's really like we use a trust model around competence and character. So, you know, you, we want to trust people who can come in and do the role, but obviously that relies on the competence piece, but also we want to make sure that their, their character is a good fit for the team and the organisation. So if someone can give us really direct insight into the, confidence and character of those people, then it's, it's worth gold. One fantastic platform for building those networks is LinkedIn. And so for those who are looking for ways to start building their network, our previous episode, episode 29, actually talks about a very practical way that you can start to connect with people in a way that's very uh, authentic and individual to each person. So check that out if you're interested. We could uh, we could honestly talk about LinkedIn and networking and also job applications for another hour if we liked. But Rubes, you, you did mention in the in the intro that Gav's had a, a few roles in the past, um, and obviously Gav, you've worked with Indigenous health organisations in the NT. You've worked in gyms. You've also had a, a six month stint in Berlin, working in marketing for a second division soccer club, which sounds amazing. How have your experiences in, in the past really set you up to become a facilitator today? Uh, well, I'm not sure if they set me up to be a facilitator per se, uh, but 
I definitely where it's helped is I feel like it's given me an opportunity to connect and, and understand with a real wide variety of people. Um, and it's, it's learned me to probably cast, um, say, judgments aside or initial, um, I'm struggling to find a word there, but um, perceptions around, you know, groups or, or people um, and just to go in and, and learn about them and, and learn about the person. So I think that part of it has allowed me to adapt to a whole heap of different cultures and teams and, and styles. The the probably Berlin that the story around that one was um, um, was a pretty interesting one. Um, so as a bit of background, my wife is German, and in 2015 we decided to take a sabbatical year and go travel the world. Uh, so we went through Asia, China, Middle East, um, and then decided to live in Berlin for six months. And while we're on the year's travel, again just trying to add to my network and variety of experiences. Um, I put in a couple of applications um, written by my wife in German um, to a few different um, sporting organisations. And I, land, I managed to land an interview with this um, team called FC Union Berlin, who is in the second flight Bundesliga. They've now been pr- um, promoted into the top flight. Definitely familiar. I have definitely yeah. heard of them. <laughs> in my FIFA, uh, FIFA playing, that's all. Yeah, FIFA days. <laughs> Um, and what was funny is like I completely overestimated my ability to speak German. And so the whole job interview was German. It was a complete German-speaking organisation. They're based in the old East Berlin. And it was an hour interview where I did not understand anything that I was saying. <laughs> the, the one thing that I, I probably think in the background that I was pretty smart at doing is I prepared like a little presentation that I was able to talk through. Uh, <laughs> And, and at the end, um, like the interview finished up and I didn't know what the hell had gone on. Or And they said <laughs> completely perfect English, but it was just all in German. I had to ask them in English. So do I have a job or not? And they actually had a job telling me all the details. I'm like, yeah, you start on Monday. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was done on like a low-cost role and it was more of like, a, again, a volunteering opportunity. But like, wow, like what an opportunity to be involved in a, in a Bundesliga club um, home days were probably just some of the most amazing experiences I've, I've been to. And, again, just to learn about European fandom and how clubs are run over there and, again, just learn about different teams um, and, and leadership and, and see that in action, I, I think that's probably more than anything that set me up for the facilitation side. Fantastic. That's an awesome experience. We're going to uh, jump into the activity you've got planned for us today on how to create your personal trademark. But... Firstly, Gav, can you just explain what is a personal trademark? So a personal trademark is an an aspirational statement or belief statement around the type of person we want to be. So, again, people may or may not be familiar with the terminology of personal trademark, but it's it's either like a value set, um, guiding principles. Um, We like to use the terminology a personal trademark, but it is. It's an aspirational statement around the type of person we want to be. And so in practicality for us, you know, that then guides, it, it guides your attitude, it dictates your behaviour and it helps with your decision-making. Um, and so that's where if if you really truly believe in this stuff and that's why I was sort of, you know, pushing you guys around, you know, the values at, at Cricket Australia early, you, you have to see it as a piv- for it to be any use, you have to see it as a pivotal piece and a pivotal tool um, to help you be a better person and a better performer. Um, if you don't, that's completely fine. Um, but if you don't and you try and put something together, then it's just going to die a slow and natural death. 
um, because you don't truly believe in it. But if you really believe in it um, and you like this type of stuff, then it can be a really valuable tool for you um, throughout your whole life. Awesome. Well, this could be a bit interesting. We're uh, we're going to have you take us through how to develop your, your personal trademark with um with myself and Ryan as as the guinea pigs. So lead us through. What's the? How do we start off? So just for your benefit and and for your audience, like full disclosure, when we're working with individuals, we would suggest this process would take anywhere from three to six months, um, mm. because we would would really implore a good amount of time for some self reflection. Um, and the deeper you can go, the more honest you can go, the more relevant and stronger your personal trademark can be. Um, and so I'll, I'll just quickly step you and your audience through that process, but we can jump to what would be like a real modified version, um, which will give you the ability to actually have, you know, would be you'll be able to draft something together and get a sense of what a personal trademark can look like for you going forward. So when we do a, a, longer, a longer version um, of the personal trademark, um, it starts with what we call a self-audit. Um, now, a self-audit is just a, a series of statements around what do I accept as the truth about me? Um, so we'd encourage people to just spend some good time, um, set some time aside to really reflect and take four to six weeks of that process. Um, just when things come to your mind or the time you get 10, 15 minutes, sit down, write out a series of statements around what do I accept as the truth about me? So that if I was to pick that up and read through it, I should have a pretty close and intimate knowledge of the type of person that you are. From there, we, we start a refinement process and, and start going through and, and separating them out to which of those statements have served me really well and have been very productive um, and which ones haven't served me so well and may have been counterproductive to, to my development. So can some of them can some of them simply be if I'm lying in bed in the morning and I can't be bothered getting up and I try and tell myself, am I the sort of person who gets up out of bed when the alarm goes off or am I the sort of person that turns the alarm off? Is that the sort of statement that I'd be writing down in that first initial process? Yeah, and I I guess um, I try not to give too much away because I don't want to plant too much into people's minds. Um, but if you're like, I just pulled a couple of mine out um, just to give people maybe a bit of context. But um, I had ones around, you know, I have a strong sense of social justice um, and I saw that as a productive trait of mine. Um, but I get really nervous in front of my peers um, and I have an acute fear of failure. Um, I like a challenge. I love setting goals. I love planning. Um, Travelling is a passion. Um, I like taking risks. So, again, they don't have to be all too complicated, but just the more that you can sort of really dig in and, and get to the essence of who you are and, you might say, I'm, I'm an early, like I love to rise early and get out to it or I struggle to get out of bed in the middle and I hit snooze about 10 times. So, mm. you know, and what we'd say, whenever you're doing an awareness piece, try not to classify things as good or bad or right or wrong. That's just who you are. So it's, it's mm. not good, bad, right or wrong. Um, but it just gives you an awareness point and a starting point to then say, well, of any of that, is there any of that that I want to change? Um, but also, what are my real strengths? What's what's my strong suit that I know that I can just rely on day in, day out? Um, and, and that sort of really forms the basis of our personal trademark. And as I said, from there, we, we then draw our key themes, um, refine something down to a, a statement, and then go and get feedback from a number of people within your life around how do they perceive you? 
Um, if you were to ask people for three words to describe you and also what's your greatest strength, your greatest area for growth, um, what would they what would they come back with? Um, so that sort of then matches off against your reflection and you get some feedback and then you start to really land on something that's, that's quite close and unique for you. So I guess just in terms of if you want an example of my own personal trademark to, you know, it's probably important that I state that I have one and I'm, I'm quite attached to mine. Um, but I've got a, a broad statement called two degrees um, as almost like a purpose statement or my driver. Um, now, the background to that is um, a connection between Illy, the Australian hip-hop artist. Um, some of the audience may know that. <laughs> a lot of my corporate clients look at me blankly when I, I say that, but then also Barack Obama. Um, so, so Illy has a song called Two Degrees, and I heard him talking about it on Triple J one day. Um, and it was referenced from Barack Obama, and Illy was talking about just a continual improvement. Um, and I've long held this belief around the only person you need to be is a better person than the one that were, you were yesterday. Um, but as you can hear, it's, it's quite a convoluted, mouthful statement. Um, and the story that Barack Obama, Barack Obama was telling um, that Illy linked into is that at the end of his presidency, a journalist was saying, you know, you came into the White House, you, you promised all these, you know, different things and nothing much has really changed. And Barack Obama said, well, I guess that's, yeah, it's not a, that's a fair assessment. But he goes, let me describe it like this. Um, if American politics or the White House or society is like a massive ship out on the ocean, and if I try to turn that 180 degrees as I would have liked to, um, then what's going to happen is that boat's going to tip over. But he said, if I just change the course of that ship by two degrees, then after a period of time, we're going to end up in a very different place than the one we started. Um, and so for me, it, it was just a really good link around two degrees around you know, just every day, can I can I be a better facilitator? Can I be a better husband? Can I be a better father? Can I be a better friend? You know, what are those just little things that I can do on a daily basis or a weekly basis to, to help me improve my performance? And then I have a series of words of how I'd like to be described. So I'd like to be described as a positive, determined, adventurous. Um, they're my strong suit and my growth area is confidence and courage. Um, and so I've got a plan around what that looks like for me and, and what I'm trying to do to improve um, my levels of confidence and courage to make me the person that I want to be. Awesome. That's such a good thing to be able to fall back on and, and reference if you're kind of questioning yourself at, at any point. Um, the the point around collecting the, the feedback from other people, we, um, we've done a, a quick little episode on, you know, using your friends to discover your strengths do you have any advice for people on how someone might be able to have that conversation in a in an easy way? Because I imagine that's not a regular thing that people are asking of each other. No. So often to set up like a, if you want to do it face-to-face, um, but often if I was to say, hey, Ruben, you know, what three words would you use to describe me? You might be like, oh, um, you know, you're caught on the spot. So um, allow people some thinking time. Um, but also set up some context. So, hey, Ruben, I'm really after this feedback or, Ryan, I'm really after this feedback because um, I'm trying to improve or I'm trying to build a personal trademark. You know, this is this is the reason why I'm after it. So it gives people a, a, some context to it. Um, and then you might send them an email or a text message or leave them a voicemail and say, you know, get back to me in a certain period of time. So it allows people to mm. have a think about it. Um, yeah. 
The other one with feedback, and, and you guys may have had this experience at CA or, or through other work experiences, but try make feedback really specific. So what I've always found is I'd be sitting in like a, a meeting with my manager or my leader, uh, you know, we'd have like an hour's, hour-long meeting, and at the end of it he'd say, so have you got any feedback for me? And it's like that's a real broad stroke. <laughs> and we're like, where do we go with that? You know, what's the level of relationship like? So if you say, you know, what one word best describes me, what three words best describe me, what's my greatest strength or what's my greatest area for growth, you're almost you're directing the person but you're also saying it's okay for you to give me my biggest area of growth. That's that's what I'm looking for. You might say, what you know, what have I done well in the past? You know, what would I do differently? Like, so, so just make it really specific um, because, one, it's easier for the person responding um, but also at a, you're saying you're giving them permission to give you the feedback too. With these kind of exercises, and I'm hoping I can frame this question correctly, it's, it's, there's a lot going on in my head, but <laughs> is there a danger where people want sort of, they want this trademark to be a certain thing and they almost kind of lie to themselves in order to get that trademark? Like personally hearing yours there, that's like amazing. That's awesome. You can always go back to that. And it's almost like I'd love to have one like that. So I'm going to almost just lie to yourself around sort of what 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 I'm about and who I am. Is that, yeah. I guess, where the piece where you get feedback from other people is to basically solidify what that is and actually tell you, no, you're not the kind of person who gets out of bed at the first alarm? So I feel like it's yeah, so, kind of a danger that people could get into. Or you're not the kind of person who cycles when they're below 15 degrees. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, and it's, it's a great point. And that's why I'd really encourage the self-audit as, as the number one. So you can really accept what is the truth about me. And whenever we would build a personal trademark, we'd say 75 80% should be focused on your strengths. Um, and it's, it's what you do because often we'll, we'll set ourselves too big a task and too big an aspirational statement. And, again, a good personal trademark, if you're reviewing it and refining it over time, it, it, might, ch- it might change, it might evolve, um, and that's, that's okay. Um, but, no, it's, it's a really good point that you bring up because um, it sort of might be too aspirational or not clear enough around, and it, it links into our belief. So we have a model called the self-talk model, but it's really what is my self-belief? What's that internal dialogue that goes through my head? Do I, if I write that statement down, do I actually truly believe that of myself? Um, and that's why we then say get the feedback afterwards because then it's a really good way of testing it. And, again, you, you might be have a lot of similarities. You might have some gaps, but it might be, well, that's that's my area to, to work on. Or, hey, geez, the, the way I... I perceive myself is not the way others perceive me um, and it might lead to some follow-up conversations uh, from that point. So because um, other other times I've seen it is people have built their trademarks off the back of feedback, um, which in one way is quite good, but the problem with that is you're, you're basing yourself, you know, your personal trademark on the image that others want to have of you. Um, and it's, then that belief piece isn't it, this. It's again, it's so subtle. But if the, the emotional connection isn't to it, um, then it, it doesn't work so much. And they they come in all different formats too. And that's the benefit. It, you just got to make it truly unique, unique to yourself. Um, I remember running a, a leadership course, and there was this really introverted accountant guy that. Oh, 
half the time I was wondering, is he even listening in, throughout this program? But he's just a deep thinker, deep listener. And on the last day when he got up to present his personal trademark, it was a mathematical formula. And I loved it because I was like, I, I couldn't think of anything worse for me, but it was so uniquely him. And everyone in the room was like just clapping because, yeah, that's you. And that's that's going to connect with you and that's going to resonate with you. So, you know, I'd often just, yeah, get people to think about something that you've come across. It might be something you hear on a podcast or a video or, you know, a musician. Something might trigger something for you that just helps tie it together and connect it for you. Um, and for me, if it's that connection piece which is far more important. So you've started by doing your self-audit and now you've then gone out and collected a bunch of data from your friends and your family. How do you then kind of pull it all together and understand what to use to then formulate your your personal trademark? So in, in the most simplest terms, we talked about grouping them into behaviours that have been productive and served you well, behaviours that have been counterproductive and haven't served you so well, and, and then identifying the key themes within each of those two. So I had things, you know, for me around, well, I'll use the confidence as one of my growth areas. So I said that I have a fear of failure. I get nervous in front of people. You know, I'm, I'm anxious about performance. I don't like being the centre of intention. You can see there's this massive, like, really strong theme com- coming out of it. But instead of being described as a positive, determined, adventurous and anxious or, you know, scared person, you know, you flip that word or that counterproductive into the affirmative. Um, and so for me, I saw things coming out. There was groupings around like positive, groupings around um, determined. And and that's where you just, that's the bit of the refinement process that can take time. So when I made mention at the start, it can take anywhere from three to six months. It's not a perfect science and there is just a bit of jostling and, and just trying to get a word that lands for you or finding something that connects for you. So that's that's the kind of messy part of it when we go through the process. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned that you got a couple of positives one, a couple of positive ones, and then um, a stretch or a couple of stretch uh, words as well. Is that the same process to to go through by finding those themes in terms of these these are the things that are coming out that show their areas that I need to improve on? Yeah, and, and what I just really reiterate to anyone who's listening is in any area of growth, um, and mine is you know I've have like a perfectionist tendency so you want to take on probably all too much just focus on one or two areas of growth maximum that way you just don't overwhelm yourself you don't take too much on and just do them and do them really well and you're probably thinking now what is that one what's the one thing I know that deep down if I was really honest with myself that is my real area for improvement that I'll often just avoid because I just don't like going there you know that that'll take a bit of time and effort um, to to change. So you know, give yourself enough time. Don't think it's going to just flip over in a week and you know it's all sorted. Uh, my confidence one is has really been three years of work in process, and it's, it's still a challenge from from time to time. Um, I've improved a hell of a lot, but because it's like a real deep seated almost fear in a way, um, it does take time and it takes work and it takes effort um, to put it into place. So. Yeah, that's why I just say focus on if you areas for growth one two maximum. Ryan, how how are you feeling about it? Or what what do you reckon is going to end up on your trademark? I um I, I will actually say I, I've done a I've done a similar thing 
uh, that's not a personal trademark, but it's around sort of my purpose. And it was a bit of sort of PD that I did. I think it was around a year and a half ago now and sort of went through a similar thing about what what am I good at? What do I enjoy about work? What do I enjoy about life? Um, And I, I actually landed on, and I don't, I don't think I've told many people this, but the world is going to know now. Um, but my purpose landed at, it was basically just a statement of make it better. Um, and I guess I'm right now listening to you talk about this. I'm like, is that still relevant or is that is that changing or where am I at with it? So, yeah, like it makes me think sort of obviously it might be, it's probably a different line of thinking, sort of your purpose, but then your trademark. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting to think about, work and, and life and in general really um but yeah no i love that link there to make it better because it, it does even for me say the two degrees is more like a purpose and and would say the trademark words get them to be descriptive words um and as the short really abbreviated activity that, that you can do and if you want to flesh this out at the moment but it's if you can indulge me for a second, but as morbid as it sounds, think think through to your funeral day, and and hopefully that's you know a long way off and a number of years away, and and you're obviously with the one in the, the casket there, and you know you have a family member, possibly a partner, will get up and talk on your behalf. You'll have a friend who gets up and talks on your behalf. You'll have you know maybe a manager, someone who's managed you, but then also maybe someone you've mentored or led or, or managed you know throughout your career. And we talk about just picking out key people from your wheel of life. And on that final day, how will they have described you? What type of person would you have been? Um, and if you take some time just to sit down and reflect and just scribble out a couple of lines around that, um, it's a great link of you know start with the end in mind. Um, it's a bit of a Stephen Covey line from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You know, project yourself forward. It's all, Again, it's almost that aspirational statement of how would I like people to describe me? And, again, if that then influences your attitudes, your behaviours, the way you treat people, your decision-making, um, then you're going to be on track to be described that way on your funeral day because, unfortunately, when I pass away, I can't tell everyone what a great bloke I was. Um People will make up their own minds from the way that I've behaved and the way that I've, I've treated them. So we see it as, again, being a really powerful tool if, if you've got something around that um, that can help guide what that looks like for you. Yeah, that's really powerful. If I died and people spoke about me and said, oh, he, he made that better or he makes this better in life or in work or whatever you're talking about, mm. I'm kind of okay with that. But I'm kind of thinking, you know, I'm a 25-year-old guy who's only been working full-time for, what, three years now, four years. Like, that'll probably change over my working life. And I don't know about you, Rose, if you've done something similar, but I'm kind of thinking, I always kind of think back to it. I'm like, is that still relevant? Yep, great. So, it's kind of like an ongoing sort of process. Oh, I would say you're, you're well on your way to that, having worked very close with, closely with you for a number of years. Uh can see a lot of examples of how you how you make it better. Um, in terms of other things that I've kind of done similar to this, the one that comes to mind was an exercise that helped myself land on two values that kind of best describe me. And the you kind of go through a process of coming up with a whole bunch similar to what you described, Gav, and synthesize it down and end up with two. And so I ended up with uh, honesty and adventure. 
and I'm trying to think about like, you know, how that kind of fits into my trademark. And I haven't got a descriptive word about what best encapsulates that just yet, but um, it kind of made me think about, all right, what do I value the most? And, you know, one of that adventure sense, similar to what you had as well, is just being able to squeeze the most out of life, no matter what you're doing. And then honesty around um, just being frank about and sharing how you feel and the way things are, because I think that's the, the quickest way to any means. Um, and I, you know, for myself personally, I don't really see the point of f- fluffing around if, if that's not what you intend. Um, and so those are kind of two things that I've kind of held dearly. And, um, yes, yeah, so I'm excited to kind of go back and, and revisit that and, and see what sort of phrase I can kind of put over the top of that that's going to encapsulate those those couple of elements and then one more one more stretch value too. Yeah, and look, even if it just reaffirms and reinforces what you've already come up with, well, then it's it's also served its purpose because then you might go, no, that that is that that really does resonate for me. And in practical terms, um, you know, Ryan, you know, you can self, you can actually use that for so many different options around a review. Like I ran a project or I ran a program, I even ran a meeting. Did I make that better? Like you see how you can get yeah. feedback against it off so much things and. And for you, you Ruben, um, one that I'll do with a lot of leaders, especially when they start into a management or leadership role, is get them to one of the first introductions they do with their team, talk about their personal trademark and their leadership philosophy. What do you stand for as a leader? What can we expect in terms of your behaviour? Where do you see your strengths are? Um, but what are you working on in terms of your growth area? And then invite mm-hmm. the team in to, one, keep you accountable to it, it also helps support you on your journey of growth because, again, you know, just because you become the leader or the manager doesn't mean your growth or your journey is finished. You know, you're just almost on the start. Um, and often we forget our team is the best resource to help us along that journey. Um, so mm. I, I'd see it as not only just this esoteric, you know, thing to have off in the background, it's a real practical tool that you can use. Um, and I'll review myself every month against my personal trademark. You know, give myself examples. Where have I really lived it and, and where have I let it slip? And, and what's going to be my focus? What am I going to commit to doing over the next month to help me? So it does. It becomes a very practical planning and review tool that I that I use often. Mm. And it becomes such a useful thing to be able to talk about if you're in a job interview as well and just trying to tie this back to our listeners and how it can kind of benefit their career. I think, you know, you often get asked how, you know, how would your coworkers describe you or how would your, your friends describe you? Well, now you've kind of got like a real hard, tangible thing to talk about. And um, you, you might also get asked, like, what are some of your aspirations? And you might be like, and every other Joe out there might say, oh, my aspiration is to be CEO of the AFL or something. When you might be able to take a, a deeper look into yourself and be like, actually, my aspirations are to be better every single day. And this is an exercise that I went through with leading teams and allowing to understand that and, and who I am. And they're just going to be blown away because I can guarantee no one else in that you know, applying for that job is going to talk about um, that sort of thing. So if you're looking for ways to differentiate yourself, um, go through this process because I can see how it would become very useful. 100%. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Shows like maturity as well. And I, I know a lot of – probably a lot of our listeners are, um, you know, are on the verge of finishing uni or are going through uni or have been out for a while. It doesn't really matter. But I guess showing your your – personal trademark i guess shows maturity in that you're un- you're sort of trying to understand who you are and what you can bring 
to whatever you're doing. So I think if you can share that with someone that they obviously understand you a lot more and they're likely to see that, you know, you're onto something and you, you sort of know where you're heading. You don't need to know what you're going to do in 10 years time, but you know in yourself at the moment where you're at and, and where you want to get to. So, yeah, I think uh, this has been awesome chatting about this, 100%. I really enjoyed it. And I think anyone who's listening should absolutely look into doing this kind of exercise to to really differentiate yourself because I don't think there's too many people out there who have this sort of locked in for themselves. Yeah, definitely. And, and it'll be a great tool. And it's that I think you touched on it before, Ruben, but you'll, this, your personal trademark will be tested most when you're under pressure and you're under stress. Um, and this recent COVID environment has been a really good example of that. And I reckon a lot of your audience and listeners would know and probably seen that some people have espoused one thing and then they're, when under pressure, um, their behaviour is, is being completely acted in a different way. Um, and so, again, if, if you're just really connected to it, it does help guide you. Um, I made mention at the start that when COVID did first hit, um, I, you know, significant investment into the business as of Jan 1 this year. Um, our business of leading teams was prefaced on getting people together. And I was just thinking, oh, shit, what's, what does this mean for, for my future? And, you know, you, you again, you're just going through the what ifs, like what does this mean? Like, you know, wow, geez, how's this going to play out? And I was so lost and I was just like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. And just, again, my personal trademark, well, was this, what does positive look like in this scenario? What does determined look like? What does adventurous look like? What does confident look like? What does courageous look like? And it was a really good way and I was able to draw an action out that I thought the one thing I want to do is on the Monday morning when my teams get to work or open their emails that my email is going to be the first one that they read. And it was one about me just here that I'm here to support you, um, you know. And so it did. It gave me some real guidance, but it actually became a tangible action um, off the, the back of that. And that's where, again, that become a really valuable tool because you do see um, people shift their behaviour when tested, when under pressure, when under stress. It's just such a useful thing to be able to better understand yourself. We, we might wrap it up there. Thank you so much for, for your time tonight, Gav. It's been a bit of a different episode, but extremely practical and extremely useful. And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who are going to get so much out of it. But it was extremely interesting to hear about you know, your journey through all these different opportunities that you've picked up, including a marketing role where you couldn't speak German <laughs> in, in Berlin, right through to the work that you're doing with, with leading teams and, and the work that they're doing with some of the current AFL clubs competing in the finals at the moment. And then... Um, been able to guide us through that activity to to learn our personal trademarks as well as it's been incredibly beneficial and um we're sure plenty of people have got just as much out of it as we have tonight so thank you so much for giving us your time and coming on the podcast no worries thanks for having me guys really appreciate it and uh definitely enjoyed our catch-up thank you very much for listening a reminder to please hit subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss out on any new episodes Drop us a rating and leave us a review. It really does mean so much and helps us put together the show for you with more sensational guests such as Gav. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the SportsGrad podcast. If you need help with your sports career, head to sportsgrad.com.au and download our free ebook today. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a tag on socials at SportsGrad. 